1: Listeners beware, later in this podcast we'll be sticking a needle in a little green frog. We'll also report on people conducting experiments on themselves. We are not advocating you try any of this at home. What if the tools of modern science were so accessible that you could cure yourself of your own disease. Welcome to Prognosis, a podcast about health, medical technology, and the mind-blowing innovation now underway in some of the least expected places. I'm your host, Michelle Faye Cortez. Today, we're taking a peek into the world of biohacking, where self-taught scientists are experimenting with glow-in-the-dark beer, insulin-producing yeast, and even do-it-yourself cures for cancer. There's a history of scientific innovations shrinking from big, expensive, and inaccessible to personalized and widely used. Just look at computers. In the 1970s, they took up entire rooms and pretty much only professionals had access to them. Now, millions of people carry pocket-sized computers, also known as smartphones, everywhere. A growing contingent of self-taught scientists, called biohackers, believe that healthcare may be following a very similar path. Things like, say, genetic engineering are still the territory of experts—scientists in universities, pharmaceutical companies, and the government. But so-called biohackers are beginning to experiment at home. So far all this community of DIYers has accomplished is a whole bunch of failed experiments. There's a guy in Mississippi that's been trying to make bioluminescent puppies for years. No glowing dogs yet. Another's trying to engineer himself to grow bigger muscles without having to spend hours at the gym. He's no more buff than he was when he started. Probably the most spectacular failure yet was last February. At a conference, the CEO of a bootstrapped biohacker startup got up on stage and announced that he had herpes. Then he stripped down to his boxers and injected himself with a gene therapy cure that was almost certain to not work. But these determined biohackers are growing in number and in experience. They're sharing ideas online and off about ways to make science and medicine more accessible to regular folks. They prophesize, one day, just like I carry around a computer in my pocket, I might have the tools in my kitchen to concoct a cure tailored to my own genetics. Here's Bloomberg's health reporter, Kristen Brown, with the story.
2: Recently, I found myself in a West Oakland duplex, watching as a sedated tree frog got a genetic cocktail injected into its left leg.
3: Hold it like that, remember? And hold his leg down. Go into the muscle like that. Inject into the leg. You can see it swell a little bit from the
2: fluid. So you're just injecting one leg? Yep. The goal was to make the frog's muscles grow bigger than usual, to make the frog get, well, ripped. To do this, the frog was getting an injection of a DNA mixture containing a gene called folostatin, which seems to play a role in muscle growth. So, the full statin is that is it likely that it would just change the one leg or that it would change it's the whole body?
3: No, it's possible both, right? Because they're so small, right? It can get into the bloodstream really easy, so it's likely that it can change the whole body. That's why we're measuring weight, but also when you inject into the muscle, it should affect that muscle the most. So we're looking at that muscle to see how that muscle changes. You know, getting multiple measurements to see what so happens. So now he's done. Yep. No.
2: This guy is done. The mad scientist behind this whole experiment is Josiah Zahner. I first met Josiah a few years back. He had just left a job at NASA to start a company called the Odin, selling cheap science supplies over the internet to DIY bio enthusiasts. Now, Josiah is sort of a famous science stuntman. He rose to fame after a talk he gave last year at a biotech conference, provocatively titled A Step-by-Step Guide to Genetically Modifying Yourself with CRISPR. CRISPR is the much-buzzed-about gene editing technology, which allows scientists to cut and paste tiny bits of DNA. To demonstrate how CRISPR might work in a human, he injected himself with CRISPR right in front of the audience. I was actually there, and it was pretty crazy. CRISPR had never been used in humans before in the U.S., and it certainly hadn't been directly injected into anybody's body. The shtick inspired some copycats, like that CEO Michelle mentioned who injected himself with a herpes vaccine on stage. It also caught the attention of the Food and Drug Administration. The FDA didn't really like that Josiah was selling kits to would-be biohackers online. Josiah wanted to usher in a DIY science revolution by making science seem accessible and edgy, but his tactics had sort of backfired.
3: You know, at first I thought, well, the way we could do this is let's just like, you know, self experimentation. And I tried that and it did not turn out like I imagined it. So then, all right, let's change. Let's try something else.
2: He didn't just want to grab headlines, he wanted to help people. And to teach people how to do science so that one day, maybe, they could help themselves. So last summer, Josiah sent me a message on Facebook, asking me if I had any interest in learning how to genetically engineer frogs. In Josiah's mind, teaching people to experiment on animals was one step closer to teaching people how to experiment on themselves. Which brings us to August. Hi, Hi, Kristen. Hello. Come on in. How's it going? That's Esther, one of the Odin's employees. Where are the frogs? Hey! Well, here. Oh my gosh! They're so cute! Oh my gosh, take a look at these ones. These are super adorable. Oh,
3: oh my they god! Just, they just uh, sprouted legs. They just
2: the Odin's headquarters looks a little like a sciency frat. frat. Livestream video games play in the background, the fridge is stocked with Red Bull and Capri Sun... And right now, the headquarters is filled with dozens and dozens of tree frogs, all in various stages of development.
3: These ones have already been experimented on, so we keep them over here. And these ones have yet to be experimented or anything on, so we keep them.
2: What kind of frogs are they again?
3: So they're green tree frogs. It's Hyla cinerea.
2: Okay. They're
3: just, like, really inexpensive, kind of cool. They look nice and uh, really common, so that's why we chose them.
2: But Josiah's dream is a lot bigger than buff amphibians. Within the DIY bio community, there is a lot of hope that making cutting-edge science more accessible will eventually also make medicine cheaper and more accessible. Take insulin. It's only manufactured by a few pharmaceutical companies, and it's really expensive. But for millions of people, it's also a life-saving medication. So one collective of biohackers based out of a community biolab in Oakland Has been working to engineer yeast so that it produces insulin. The idea is to eventually develop a safe and FDA approved method to either allow people to make their own medicine or at least provide it to diabetics for very cheap. Josiah's first big DIY experiment was health related too. Since his teen years, he had been plagued by digestive issues. He had tried treatment after treatment, but nothing seemed to work. So he took matters into his own hands. In 2016, He gave himself a fecal transplant. Yes, that is exactly what it sounds like. And he let a reporter write about it. After that, emails started pouring in from other people who were sick and either frustrated with doctors or out of options. They'd read stories about things like CRISPR in the news and all its promise of simply snipping away the disease-causing letters in a person's genetic code. They wanted to know whether there might be a DIY fix for them, too. Here's where the frogs come in.
3: Don't. You can't be afraid of grabbing them too tight. They're they're pretty robust. You you won't actually. Got to like corner them against the wall and know. just grab them. Grab I
4: them. I don't want to
2: hurt
3: them. Though. You won't. You won't. Don't worry.
2: Oh my god.
3: They're really. <laughs> get them. Get them. Yes. Grabbing tight. Ah, there. There. Ah, <laughs> All right. Put them on. Go in. <laughs>
2: nice. <laughs> oh my god. That was so hard. I
3: know, not it? This is like literally the hardest part of the whole...
2: Josiah experimented on himself to hopefully open people's eyes to the promise of DIY science. But he realized that if you're going to teach people how to make a gene therapy for themselves, first you have to teach them how to test it out. In this case, on frogs. To be honest, I found the whole thing pretty creepy. Before injecting the frogs with anything, Josiah knocks them out. They look limp. Like they're dead. They seem like they're slowing down. Does it work like that? Does it make them slow down first?
3: Yep, it's like an anesthetic, right? So they'll definitely... Hey. Yep, they're still going. Some of them go a different pit. Yeah, so one we'll do- of them
2: looks like he's down already. Over the past few years, genetic engineering has gotten a lot easier. Josiah actually does have a PhD, but you don't need one to get your hands on things like DNA. Josiah ordered the full of statin DNA off the internet, along with everything else for the experiment and had it shipped to the office. Then he just mixes it all up in his lab. So you put the DNA in these tubes. There's four of them, one for each frog. And now you're adding the polymer that will help get it into the frog. Yeah. And then what's next?
3: Next is to weigh and inject them. Weigh and measure and inject.
4: Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com.
5: Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE.
2: There is a long history of self-experimentation in science, and not just in the days before being a scientist required getting a PhD. Nobel Prize winner Barry James Marshall ingested a type of bacteria to successfully demonstrate its role in causing ulcers in 1984. Sometimes, though, it wasn't so successful. Way back in the 1920s, Russian physician Alexander Bogdanov performed multiple blood transfusions on himself. He wanted to test whether the procedure might bring him eternal youth. Instead, it killed him. But Josiah doesn't just imagine a world where such self-experimentation is done by the brave and the daring. He wants a world where whipping up a DIY gene therapy no longer seems daring at all. Considering where the science is now, that is a pretty radical vision. True, modern-day genetics have made curing many once-incurable diseases seem, for the first time, realistic. One gene therapy, Luxturna, approved last year, treats a form of inherited blindness. But most therapies are still highly experimental, and the abilities of the technology are still really limited. I've talked with a lot of other people on science and medicine about Josiah's work, And most of them are pretty skeptical. But if you or your loved one is sick, Josiah's vision is a pretty compelling one, no matter how dubious it sounds. That's exactly how Lars Soros felt when his wife Diane was diagnosed with stage 4 lung cancer in 2015. She was only 30 years old and had never smoked. No one knows why she got the disease at such a young age, but it seemed genetics may have played a role.
5: The prognosis is very... Very poor. Uh, and we, at the beginning, we were just told there is there is not any hope. Uh, you can uh, perhaps delay the inevitable uh, a little bit, but not much. And uh, there's really no hope and no point in trying to fight uh, too much against this. It's better to just enjoy your last days together and then uh, that's going to be it.
2: But Lars did not give up. Instead, he scoured the world and the Internet for promising treatments. He eventually stumbled upon a professor in Germany involved in an experimental personalized peptide vaccine project, an experimental immunotherapy. Lars and Diane live in Norway, so Germany isn't all that far. Immunotherapy is hot, and for good reason. The medical literature is filled with tales of tumors suddenly shrinking to nothing and terminal illnesses miraculously reversing course.
5: It's a very interesting and scientifically intriguing way of uh, attacking cancer cells, uh, and uh, definitely still unproven, and uh, of course even more unproven two years, uh, two years ago when she started this. But uh, we hope and uh, believe that it can be helpful against her cancer, but there is certainly no proof uh, that it will be.
2: Diane was traveling to Germany every two weeks for treatment, as well as adding new things to her treatment regimen when they seemed promising. Somewhere along the way, a friend sent Lars an article about Josiah. So Lars reached out, curious about whether a DIY CRISPR treatment might work for Diane. Josiah told him it probably wouldn't. But the two got to talking. It led to a plan to make cancer immunotherapy more accessible by making it DIY. Lars had a blog where he detailed all of the different treatments that Diane was trying out. Like Josiah, patients often reached out to Lars after reading it. It was impossible to tell whether any of Diane's experimental treatments were actually working. But she was at least still alive and doing well.
5: And people are reaching out and they asked if they could perhaps try the same thing. But then some people didn't have the uh, necessary funding to do it. And other people were perhaps uh, precluded from traveling uh, every second week to to Germany. So so then the question was, you know, are there other ways that people can uh, get this type of treatment without uh, traveling every second time, second week to Germany and without spending a uh, small fortune? We have done.
2: So Lars started a Facebook group called DIY Cancer Vaccines. On Facebook, people with the same diagnosis as Diane could discuss their treatment along with the possibility of making a cancer immunotherapy themselves. The idea of making an immunotherapy wasn't completely impossible. For a few thousand dollars, anyone can contract a lab to manufacture a targeted peptide like Diane's. Everything else can be found at a local pharmacy or online. It's promising, but these immunotherapies are also highly experimental. There was a chance that they could result in devastating side effects or just altogether not work. Not to mention, it would be extraordinarily expensive to DIY a vaccine that targeted as many mutations as Diane's did. That would make the chances of it working even slimmer. Still, as the Facebook community grew, a few people decided to try out making the vaccine themselves. One fellow Norwegian tried her homebrew vaccine on her husband, who had run out of options after his cancer had spread to his brain. It didn't work but Lars was inspired. Last year, with help from Josiah, he published an online guide for how to make an immunotherapy targeting a single mutation in a cancerous tumor.
5: I I think, the individual steps by themselves are not so difficult, but there is a hurdle, I think, both in comprehension, like, do you understand enough to actually dare to do it? Uh, And of course, implementing it, the practical steps. Some of them are not so difficult, some of them are uh, a little bit more tricky, but I think if you are a reasonably well-informed uh, person and, and you have the time, I think in particular the time and the willingness and the energy to try to uh, get into this, I think, I think many people will be able to do it.
2: The internet has galvanized patients with all sorts of conditions to take a more hands-on approach to their care. For example, there's a website where people with Crohn's disease can share what treatments have worked for them. And what has not It's sort of like a patient-powered research network. Another site, Patients Like Me, connects people with all kinds of ailments. It's clear that patients are ready to take a more active role in their care. Perhaps this is just the next step. The risks, Lars says, seem far less daring when you're out of options for survival.
5: I think it's like a small step uh, in a direction to help show people that something could be possible.
2: Hank Greeley, a bioethicist at Stanford and a frequent critic of Josiah's, told me he's doubtful anything as significant as a cancer treatment will come from someone's homebrew biolab.
6: I could imagine somebody taking a rare genetic condition and showing that in a uh, Petri dish, they can successfully use CRISPR to to reverse an unfavorable mutation in a disease that for whatever reason biotech and pharma haven't explored. But making the jump from a cell line in a Petri dish, which I think biohackers might be able to do, to a drug in a human is such an enormous jump that I think biohackers are likely to play only the smallest of roles in that.
2: Hank isn't all that concerned about Josiah's frog experiments, but he is concerned about what it might lead to. Josiah's public experimentation has already led to copycats. No one has gotten hurt yet, but they certainly could. That CEO who injected himself with a herpes treatment on stage did it without ever testing the treatment in humans first. A few months later, he drowned, so it's impossible to say how things might have worked out. But who knows what might happen when you introduce a foreign substance into the endlessly complex human body. That day that I visited Josiah's lab, he was planning to inject four frogs with full statin and four other frogs, the control frogs, with a placebo. It was the first phase of a new experiment.
3: Basically, all you're doing is you're injecting a liquid, and that's it. Like, it's that simple. I don't think people understand that. That like, it's literally that simple.
2: You're injecting... The- He'd already gotten good results in one previous experiment. Injecting the frogs with a different gene, also meant to stimulate growth.
3: Yeah, so here's a video that I took, I'll sh- try to show you the frogs. They actually, this guy is bigger now. We, that's what Esther was talking about. We call him Thick Boy because it's our frog that grew like way bigger than all the other frogs from the gene therapy. Wait, Wait
2: Thick Boy? No, yeah, I with two C's. Okay.
3: Thick, with two C's, okay. and B-O-I, okay. not B O
2: Y. Thick okay. Boy,
3: Thick Boy. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's such an easy experiment to do, right? Because there's an obvious way to tell if it's working. You can weigh the frog to see. And if they get big enough, you can tell by eye. Um.
2: Josiah's selling kits to perform these experiments online for $299. That's including six frogs. His hope is that it teaches people how fun and simple science can be. And just maybe that one day performing such experiments on frogs might empower people to take their health into their own hands.
3: The one thing that's important to note is that these genes are human genes, They're not frog genes, so theoretically, you know, it's testing like a gene therapy that would be used in a human.
2: But it might not be as easy as Josiah insists. Here's Hank Greeley again.
6: I think this idea of having a hobby in science is a good one in and of itself for the people involved. I think there is some chance that they can do some scientific benefit, which would be good. Um, I do think that development of human drugs and biological products is not what they should be focusing on, because I think their likelihood of contributing significantly, at least in any very direct way to that, is very low.
2: Josiah likes to say things like, the only thing in the way of creating cheap DIY cures is enough people with the knowledge to do it and the market to pay for it. Take Luxterna. That's the $850,000 gene therapy that treats blindness. Josiah is pretty sure he could order stuff off the internet and make it for $5,000. Another time, he told me he could make dragons if there were only enough people to pay for it. According to Josiah, it's all about market demand. That's why he's so provocative.
3: I interact with a lot of people who have cancer, and a lot of people who have different types of cancers that they have no treatment for, and they're just trying to stay alive and survive. But when it's their choice between dying and trying something, most people try something. Well, if they could try it, if they already had a system, a platform, an organism that's been set up, which they could test these things on before they try it on themselves, so that risk of dying is less. Like that's, a, I think, a really cool thing.
2: Josiah's approach is extreme, but it's rooted in a concern shard well beyond biohackers. Treatments sometimes take decades to make it from Petri dish to patient, if it turns out that it's lucrative enough to pursue a treatment at all. And when a treatment does make it to market, many people can't afford it.
3: Like, my dream is to get people to be able to genetically modify themselves, but it's also to, uh, I don't want to say like take down the FDA, but figure out a new model that works, right? Because right now there are a ton of people dying and suffering that don't have access to the drugs they need because of the regulations, the time, the money. I mean, everything with the FDA.
2: Patty Zettler used to be an attorney at the FDA. Now she's a law professor who studies biohackers, among other things. She told me that self-experimentation or experimenting on frogs might not be enough to warrant a crackdown from the agency But it also isn't necessarily the best way to help people.
1: So from a public health perspective, if What we care about is helping people and helping a lot of people. There are lots of things that are pretty low tech and not very sexy that we know work. So there are areas of the country that don't even have clean water. Right. So giving clean water to people in Flint, Michigan and other areas, that would be a huge public health benefit that isn't as sexy as genetically engineering yourself, um, but is something we know would work. And I. I'm very interested in this area, and I'm as prone as anyone to think this is a really exciting thing that Josiah is doing, but there are just all these other things we know that help people on a large scale.
2: Back in Josiah's lab, I got a good taste of how easy it is for things to go wrong when you do it yourself. After instructing me in syringe technique.
3: So put your thumb down there on the body, right, so then you have some pressure. Okay. Right? Because if you push on the back when you try to push in, then you'll push all the liquid. Wait, but then
2: how do I push it in? What? He asked me if I wanted to give injecting the frogs a try myself. I'm one of those kids who asked to be excused from dissecting frogs in high school bio, so I declined. And I'm glad I did, because then this happened. Oh my God. He's like breathing really hard. He's bleeding. (gasps) Oh
3: That one actually, I think I might have got the vein on that one accidentally. Oh,
2: uh, what do you do if he's bleeding?
3: Nothing. Hopefully it heals and he's okay. I think that's just starting to breathe again, or starting to be able to so see. Do you the think breathe. he'll
2: bleed out? Or oh, maybe? probably
3: not, but we'll see.
2: <laughs> According to Josiah, the frog did survive.
1: That's it for this week's prognosis. Thanks for listening. Do you have a story about healthcare in the U.S. or around the world? We want to hear from you. You can email me at mcortez at bloomberg.net or find me on Twitter at Faye If you were a fan of this episode, please take a moment to rate and review us. It'll help new listeners find the show. This episode was produced by Liz Smith. Our story editor was Rick Schein. Thanks to Drew Armstrong. Francesca Levy is head of Bloomberg Podcasts. We'll see you next week.